Hi friends, welcome to Why We Care. I'm your host Tiffen and I started this podcast because I realized that when you ask people how they can help the planet, most will say things like fly less or cycle instead of driving. But not many will say things like let leaves rot in your garden to help the soil or buy regenerative instead of conventional cotton. Most people know how to reduce their carbon footprints, but few know how to directly help protect nature and biodiversity. So together in this podcast, we'll explore our relationship with the natural world and learn how we can take better care of Mother Earth in our everyday lives. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Dez Agaji, a climate justice, regeneration and well-being activist. I met her for the first time last year in Glasgow when she was working as a creative director for Earthrise Studio. She's now the artist-in-residence at Phytology, a cultural institute at the Bethnal Green Nature Reserve in East London, and also works with Extinction Rebellion's strategy team. We spoke about the importance and beauty of reconnecting with the land, about the right to roam campaign and respecting the boundaries of the earth. Daisy is also a historian, so she told me all about the enclosures, which she believes was the starting point for the ecological emergency we find ourselves in. She also shared what it's like living on a boat in central London, which she said really helps her feel more connected with nature, but also serves as a reminder of how we're impacting the environment, as she sometimes spots very random things floating down the river, the most random one she ever saw being a duvet. I really, really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you will too. Thank you for caring and sending you lots of love. So hi, Days. Thank you so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Mm. Oh, hi, I'm happy <laughs> to be here. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, <laughs> who am I? Uh, I'm, I'm Days. I am currently 22. Um, and what do I do? Um, I, yeah, I'm still finding the words to describe what I do. Uh, I always describe it as anything revolting, like anything to try and gain climate justice. And I think that's like the essence of like what I do. And it's very values driven, but that leads me to do a lot of different types of work, um, whether it's um, content creation, right round to working in theater, um, right round to organizing protests, anything that I think will get us closer to the mission of climate justice. Um, I'm prepared to do most things. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I love that you have this um, kind of mission and you're trying to... Um... <laughs> go at it from from all these different angles I think that's amazing yeah it's um yeah it, it's taken a while to kind of figure out because I yeah I kind of went in with the expectation of knowing what I want to do right like mm-hmm. we were told to figure out what we want to do train and what we want to do and then when that was kind of shattered when I found out about the climate crisis um it kind of left space for me to kind of actually be a bit more values driven of being more open to doing than anything I love that (laughs) um and one thing I wanted to ask is I think I saw on your um Instagram that you work with uh phytology phytology is that how you pronounce it yeah yeah, so um I I looked into it a little bit and it sounds amazing and I wanted to ask if you could talk um about it a little bit more um it's in the Betmill Green Nature Reserve right so yeah yeah no go for it (laughs) I would love to talk about cytology. It's like one of my favorite places on earth, quite literally. Oh, amazing. Um, so it's an acre long nature reserve in the middle of Bethnal Green in East London. Uh, 
quite unusual because it's a nature reserve that feels almost like woodlands but in the middle of like London Wow! <laughs> um, <laughs> like this weird yeah I see myself in the space because I've also had to straddle the two worlds of loving the city then also being such a nature girly as well um I've been an artist in residence there for around a year now and um yeah it's just this really beautiful community owned and community-led spot that's meant to kind of reimagine what community means in the face of things like ecological crisis Mm -hmm. amazing yeah I I had a look at uh, their website the other day and it does sound wonderful and now I want to visit because it yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) I will I'll I'll definitely um come (laughs) yeah it sounds amazing um and that's actually a nice segue so um, into my next question, which is, um, and maybe to give you a bit more context um, on why I started this podcast, it's because I realized that a lot of people, um, when asked um, what they can do to help the planet, a lot of people will say things like um, cycling instead of driving or flying less, which are all obviously super important. But then I realized that most people don't really know what to do directly um to support nature and biodiversity and you know how these two crises are obviously interlinked but there's the climate crisis but then there's also the biodiversity loss crisis which is a bit less I think talked about so that's kind of what I wanted to address and one of the questions I had was do you have any advice uh for people who are looking to lower their environmental their impact specifically on nature um in their everyday lives So I think, yeah, lots of different things kind of came to mind. I think one is it's a narrative change of recognizing, like, I hate using the term, like, save the world. Mm -hmm. Because quite frankly, saving the world from anything but ourselves. Um, (laughs) And I think start to reframe it of actually we're trying to protect the thing that sustains our life. It kind of makes the exchange feel less saviour, more mutually exclusive, you know, of like, recognizing that we are all interconnected and every action we take has effect on all living life including life forms that are very different to ours like nature for example um so it's kind of like reframing mm-hmm. <laughs> of the way the issue but then also I think there is something about um like recognizing what the issue truly means and this kind of goes into so a lot of work that's done by places like the Stockholm Resilience Centre is this focus on planetary boundaries and at the moment climate change is one of the planetary boundaries that we focus on the most. Biodiversity is the second but there are others too Yeah, <laughs> and it's all about how do we respect the boundaries of the earth um, and I think this kind of like links into a lot of the work that I do on wellness because it's about if we disrespect the boundaries of ourselves and fellow like humans, how do we begin to start learning how to respect boundaries of life that doesn't reflect exactly the same as us, that don't look like us, <laughs> that don't feel like us, you know, how do we start to do that? Um, so in kind of like addressing the climate crisis, I think one of the main things we can do is start to do like the inner work of mm-hmm. questioning, where do we sit within this problem? What have we aided to that we no longer want to aid to? And then how do we reverse behavior to really respect the boundaries of ourselves, our communities and our earth? And I think it's like going really deep into the intention of every action we make. And how do we guide that with principles like love, duty and care to like really like change everything that we do? You know, and I, I 
that like you know if everyone kind of placed love at the core of like everything that they did most actions would be very different <laughs> mm-hmm. even on a small scale of an everyday basis of like you know what conscious choices you're making in your life to make you feel like you're contributing right round to the larger things of voting how engaged you are in politics how engaged you are in economic systems um so yeah so I think that's kind of like what I would say and I know that feels very abstract and I people hate it (laughs) (laughs) go you need to stop buying people want me to go stop eating meat and like Mm -hmm. realistically I think they're they're great things that Mm -hmm. if you want to do them but on the scale if we really see this as the systemic issue it is those things only really help boost our own internal morale and makes us realize that we do have the power to change but sadly at this point it does not have the power to actually mitigate against the climate crisis. What we need is that system change and systems are created by people. So what happens if we change the intentions of people, we change the systems. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I love I love that answer. And and yeah, I, I, I guess I was. Um, yeah, I, I would have probably expected something very like you said, like uh, eat less meat or something like that. But. I love what you're saying and it does make so much sense and I think you're right that it is quite complex but at the same time it also, it also becomes very simple right it's just about having mm. empathy and having yeah p- putting love in, in everything you do and, and kind of trying to see uh I guess the world from from other perspectives and, and not just ours and do you think uh kind of off the back of that do you think that's something what what came to mind when you were saying this to me for me was do you think that's something that we can do as individuals or like is that something that is needed from the collective and I guess it's maybe a bit of both but like how how do you kind of see that being Mm -hmm. yeah do do you think yeah what what are your thoughts on that if that makes sense I think yeah I think um yeah a lot of so like individualism like right like the beginning of individualism was baked into capitalism it was this idea of how do we wide communities in order for everyone to basically be in the scarcity mindset where they are like I'm protecting myself um I know that this has like weirdly snuck into this kind of environmental wellness space as well of where it's so focused on self-care that self-care actually becomes almost selfish in itself Uh, I think we would never use individual solutions to fight against collective issues and I think we should with the climate crisis too. This isn't an issue of where if one person decides to do everything right, the whole world isn't going to like, it's something we have to do together. But mm-hmm. then there is a level of recognizing what part you play in that and what part you play in supporting others to come along on that journey too. You know, so it's like how we start from the self and expand outwards with the mission always to be expand outwards into our communities, into our society, into our systems, into our institutions. So yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, I, I do think there is, you know, obviously like good in understanding where you're coming from as the person and what you're touching into to really connect to this issue. But if we start stopping there, that's where we're going to find some really big issues going forward, because this is a collective action that we're taking in order to literally save the, the systems that support our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. I love that. And yeah, I do think it makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing that. Do you have any um, examples of, of 
what this looks like for you in, in your day-to-day -day life and, and kind of how you put this to practice? Mm, I think for me, what, so I, I, I do this work, right, that's very emotionally tasking a lot of the mm -hmm. time, especially being yeah. a space holder, being a facilitator, being almost like a conduit between many different worlds who can't really hear each other and trying to be like the between you know the people from low-income backgrounds talking to politicians and you know what I mean like having yeah. being this middle ground it takes a lot of energy so there's one part that's like the more individual aspect of me learning how to take care of myself so I can show up to the, like this work really well and then two doing the actual job that I'm here to do if you get what I mean um, and I think that's kind of like a way that you can see both the individual action that I take in making sure that I am showing up as my best self but it's always enough service to the community that I want to serve and that I'm a part of um, and that's how I would like explain that kind of like link from the you know not just stopping at because if I stopped at the individual I'll go okay I will do all the things I do at my house and then that's it that's I've done my bit but it's not a it's about how do I make sure that I can show up for the larger society who's held me in times where I couldn't show up and how do I hold people when they can't show up mm -hmm. oh, I love yeah that makes so much sense I love that um and then another question I had uh which is something you said that I found really impactful um is that you believe that the beginning of the ecological emergency we found ourselves in started with the enclosures Um, and I think that kind of ties with the rights to Rome campaign, right? So I wondered yeah. if you could um, tell us a little bit more about what you mean by this um, and also maybe how we can recover that connection that we lost with the land in a way. Yeah, so like in my own personal journey, the reason I feel like I care so deeply for the earth is because I had my own moment of real connection mm -hmm. um, in the countryside. And for, for me, it was this like, when you learn how to love something so deeply so it almost as though it is in fact it's not almost as though it is like loving yourself um when you learn how to love the earth um I kind of went on this like journey of like that happening to me when I was in my teens and finding out how much I cared about nature so the idea of nature being threatened or like the one st stable thing that or well the one thing that should be stable <laughs> in our world like the climate like biodiversity being threatened actually made me personally very angry <laughs> mm -hmm. and I think the fact that I could always like even like in this like empathetic thing not just between humans but between different types of life different types of consciousness it's like I felt the empathy of I am angry and I need justice um from this situation and I feel like that's my own personal story of how I got to this and then looking back into so I'm I'm trained as a historian um I did my degree in history and politics um so I have like a real love for history and I feel like in order to understand the world we live in today, we have to see the conditions that made the world we live in today, right? And in the UK, you start to see this disconnection from land starting from the enclosures. So prior to the enclosures, you had these, you know, our society was very much based on the ideas of the commons. These were commonly owned land where people would graze animals, people would grow vegetables, people would trade with each other with what they need. And it was like the beginnings of community, right? People would meet, commons people dance on the commons people you know like exchange and barter on the commons it was a place of where people came together but then there was a time in England of where um 
this basically was shifted um, because elites fenced the land and basically said, I own this area of land. And this locked out a lot of people from public ownership that was previously there. And therefore, people started losing their livelihoods, losing the places that they connected with fellow humans, um, and then also lose like their access to resources that they would use to feed and provide for themselves and their families. So in this time, you get the shift of where people had to give to find access to the land. And this was the beginning of wage labour, which we see in capitalism. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, you know, when there are so many people who need access to the land, they are like, okay, the elites who've stolen this land go, we are going to make sure that we pay the least because there's so many workers out there. We are the ones that are holding the power now. So you end up getting this beginnings of the exploitation and then you end up getting the industrial revolution in the same kind of like span of time. Um, And then you end up getting when the people in the UK go, oh, this is not enough, not enough land, not enough labor. We end up going and committing atrocities across the world, which we know is colonialism. Mm -hmm. And this is how like that narrative for me very clearly links to the climate crisis. In that time, we learned how to use and abuse one another. We learned how to use and abuse the earth and we learned how to treat everything like a resource, including ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that has led to this disconnection of where people feel so disconnected from the land. People refer to nature as something separate. People refer to even to some classes of people as something separate. Um, and this has led to a state of where people don't feel the hurt and the pain when it comes to what's happening with the climate. People don't feel the anger and the need for justice because they haven't connected. And this is kind of leads me on to the right to roam stuff, right? Um, I stumbled across their work a couple of years ago um, through Nick's book on trespass, because that's something that I particularly love to do. And in the UK, we are quite fortunate to have some, um, some trespassing laws that allows for legal trespassing <laughs> um, yeah not totally legal but it, it's not a <laughs> act that's the most important um, but we're partnered next to places like Scotland and Wales which have far better laws around this for us as well mm-hmm. and during especially over this last couple of years with the protest bills and these bills against nomadic living forms we're seeing this push on our right to roam and right to have access to the land um, and Right to Rome as a campaign is basically trying to address this. Um, And I've been on their pilgrimages, I've been on their trespasses, and it's an amazing way to learn how to connect to land, but then also learn so much about the nativity of this land as well. Um, Mm -hmm. People feel very awkward when I talk about Indigenous England, um, Mm -hmm. for good reason, right? (laughs) For good reason. Um, (laughs) But what I try to do is get people who have become so disconnected from their own ancestry Mm -hmm. to recognize that they actually do have this ancestry that's based in land practices and land loving practices like my ancestry is Nigerian I'm from the Ibo tribe the Anyoma Mm -hmm. people in the Niger Delta Um, and from my understanding of my own indigenous like culture I've gained so much about what I understand around nature and the part I play in nature and the part nature plays within me and I hope people find that in the west as well but not by going to you know the amazon and doing ayahuasca but by learning about their own Mm -hmm. 
learning about their own understanding, learning about their own histories and connecting back to the land. And whether that is in doing pilgrimages in this land or going to meet the stone circles and tapping into that kind of like magical energy that England has like weirdly been at the center of. Mm -hmm. There is something in that about connecting back and learning how to connect back in order to truly learn how to love the land. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's, wow, that's, yeah, such a good point. And I feel like so much information and, and yeah, it's really <laughs> making me <laughs> want to look into it and, and yeah, learn all about it. And wow, that's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah. really beautiful. And I think even like, I always say this with my friends as a joke, um, but then also like the other day, um, I had a party for Samhain, which is like the Harvest Festival, mm -hmm. uh, commonly known as like Halloween now. Um, <laughs> but um, I was talking about the beginnings of Samhain and the idea of connecting to the ancestry and how this was like a practice, like, um, like an indigenous practice of Celtic and Irish people in this land. Mm -hmm. And what I realized even in having that conversation was different friends who come from different indigenous backgrounds all across the world also had a celebration around the same time of year, around the same thing. Um, and there is something about that connection of like, even though like, you know, we, we, you know, like I know the discomfort around referring to indigeneity in the UK and in Western areas is quite a lot. But when we start to see it as like, when humans before the internet, before all of these like ways of connecting with each other, we still manage to find connection through the seasons, through the land, through understanding like the changes that are happening. And we still find ways to celebrate the same things basically mm -hmm. all over the world at the same time. There is something in that that kind of brings us closer to learning how to love and protect nature better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shows that like innate and there is something that's really innate and I think yeah like even when we start talking about nativity um I think nativity is far beyond like like blood ancestry but it's about knowing the land that you live on um and connected to that and you can gain nativity anywhere basically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow I, lo I love that and I love the idea of finding I guess that connection again with the land but also with the collective and this idea that um yeah just being together and 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 yeah I, yeah. I love all of that it, it sounds amazing yeah. I, I want to research a lot into it <laughs> it's yeah exactly. it's, yeah it's kind of like how like I, I love how I talk about it and it all sounds slightly woo-woo but then also there is like the how do we find connections to the land right like when I moved to London like I'm gonna learn how to urban forage and that was my way to connect to the land in a city that I love mm -hmm. you know and it doesn't have to be you go out into the English countryside and you do <laughs> it does not have to be that's your journey that's fine but also it's just to learn the trees in your local park you know like feel to the seasons and what you're eating those are different ways that we can learn how to connect back yeah oh yeah I, I love this idea that there's different ways of, of kind of yeah re regaining that connection with nature mm -hmm. and it can be through these kind of very ancient uh, rituals and celebrations or as you're saying it can be through just going out through the park and, and looking at trees and then also trying to find that connection again that's, mm. that's exactly wow thank you for sharing that was wow super inspiring <laughs> <laughs> um another thing that I wanted to ask was um 
something that I find really interesting in um, the stories you share on social media is specifically around uh, climate anxiety. And I think especially mm. in the summer when we hit these uh, kind of record high tem temperatures here in the UK, I did one of the things that helped me the most, to be really honest, is the post you shared about how to soothe your climate anxiety. And I remember that at the time it was it was all very intense in the media with kind of one side just completely ignoring the problem and be very um, lighthearted about it and being like, oh, amazing, it's <laughs> nice and warm. And then the other side being very dramatic and rightly so in a way, because in, in a way it was for me, at least in London, one of the first times that we really felt it, I think, across the the whole of London, all of a sudden, it was very uh, clear that, that climate change is here, even though I do believe that it's here already in a lot of ways, but most people don't necessarily uh, realize in their in their day to day. Um, but yeah, that your post about climate anxiety was really helpful. And I wondered if you could speak to this a little bit and, and kind of share what your relationship is with climate anxiety and if there's anything um, that you do specifically to what when it all gets a bit too much mm, I feel yeah I feel like I <laughs> climate anxiety is like almost like this weird sister that's attached to my hip mm -hmm. um, <laughs> sometimes you don't want to be there sometimes you kind of like pet her um, but yeah it, it's a it's a real part of my story um, when I first found out about the climate crisis um, I was around 16 and I went into my first, I, I would say like my first like true grieving period. Mm -hmm. um, at that time I didn't know what, you know, grief work was, um, but I kind of, and even like, I didn't know what climate anxiety was, but, but my grief was manifesting in this like quite severe anxiety around the future we're going to inhabit, what's already happening and the kind of like, feeling of helplessness in the situation mm -hmm. yeah and then it was it was really difficult and it is still difficult because um as part of this like grief journey I feel like I had like episodes of like quite intense grief but grief has always been the underlying of a lot of my feelings around the climate because every day we're something else being lost something else being you know like yeah changed forever mm -hmm. um so yeah, and um, I remember um, my first kind of moment of really like recognizing climate anxiety was through the work that I used to do at Extinction Rebellion Youth with young people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and seeing the kind of the grief that they'd experienced as well of whether it's, you know, 13 year old girls saying that they are scared with the prospect of that they wouldn't be able to have kids because of the climate crisis like this kind of like almost like loss of innocence and loss of youth so early um was really difficult to bear with um and then i started basically trying to get help for my own climate anxiety and the climate anxiety like that i was kind of being surrounded by and feeling responsible for because at the time i was the regenerative cultures coordinator for xi youth um and this is when I realized that there are a lot, of, a lot of professionals who didn't really know what climate anxiety was, how to address it properly. Because they were like, I remember the therapist I had at the time, um, she went, if the climate makes you feel so bad, why don't you just like not do anything about it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. yeah. She was like, yeah, just like detach yourself from it, right? Wow. And for me, it was like, that doesn't even feel like a possibility. It doesn't feel mm -hmm. like an answer. 
for a lot of people it doesn't either um so kind of for this point what I what I kind of figured out is that in this society we have an issue with processing we don't learn how to process our emotions properly and what happens is they kind of almost get backed up like a drain um, and they start showing themselves in different ways whether it's anxiety or rage and a bunch of other different ways right um but what I realized in this time at XR was I, I realized that I needed to learn how to process my emotions and process them properly and part of processing actually is feeling them and being able to feel them and kind of surrendering to what's happening to a certain extent um and I kind of went on that journey of learning how to basically like figure that out <laughs> um and then at the end was like how do I kind of nourish back my connection to the land and recognize what I'm doing this for but then also honor my agency within this issue as well um since I think agency is a really core part of mitigating against climate anxiety when you feel like you can do something yeah it makes feel less anxious about the mm-hmm. issue because you, know you can do it um and I think this is something that everyone like this the world that we live in now does not generate our ability to process does not generate our ability to kind of like give into these emotions and process them it doesn't also generate like the idea that we can do anything about it um and I feel like starting like activism and organizing was one of the main ways that like I addressed my climate anxiety because it was recognizing that I did have this agency but then also knowing that I could do something about it and seeing very tangible change of what I was doing whether it was you know post-April like the first Extinction Rebellion rebellion I was a site coordinator um, for one of the sites and seeing young people come together seeing people kind of embody the spirit of what we hope our futures would be like um like really like impactful but then it made me feel like I could create change and I could be a part of change and in turn kind of changed my feelings around my climate anxiety and found a way to get rid of these feelings but to manage them so they didn't become overwhelming Mm -hmm. wow I, I, I love that and I think it does make a lot of sense and I think from what you're saying again I feel like it also goes back to this idea of the collective and when we come together it's also um yeah just I guess witnessing being active yourself but then also witnessing this collective action and, and people coming together uh, really helps right exactly yeah it's about yeah it's like looking at both sides I guess mm-hmm Love that. Um, I had another question that I wanted to ask. I saw that you live uh, on a boat, right, in central London, which yeah. I think is very cool. So I wanted to know um, <laughs> if you could share a little bit more about this and, and kind of how that, that came to be. And also, I, I'm imagining that it helps you connect with nature as well, just living underwater. But we'd love to hear a bit more about that from you. Yeah. <laughs> I So, yeah, I live on a gorgeous boat called the Maxim Bell, and mm. she's a beauty. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Myself. um <laughs> how did it come about um yeah at the time I was with my ex now ex-partner um and we were kind of like trying to figure out what our futures could look like with the possibility of home owning being so out of yeah. touch for like <laughs> our age um, <laughs> um and we kind of settled on the like, crazy idea of maybe getting a boat mm-hmm. um since 
kind of both kind of into like the, the idea of like doing up these boats and we were seeing lots of stuff on Instagram and then at this time I was moving I was looking to move out my mum's house into a flat um, and I was looking for a flat and then I came across something right move and it looked really beautiful and I was like wow and then I read the description and it was a boat and almost like <laughs> so I know right I was wow. like oh I wasn't looking for it but now it's here <laughs> so I decided to go for a viewing basically expecting just to like have a look at what boathouse looks like and then mm-hmm. like go and find a special flat um <laughs> but I ended up falling in love with it um wow and falling in love with yeah just like everything I remember the, the first viewing and seeing like the beautiful fireplace and like mm-hmm. just like, this real kind of like literally being like in the middle of London but then also like on like a different plane of London because mm-hmm. like tend to be like lower in the city than other like you know the houses and everything you're kind of like on this very quiet very almost like serene um place but then also like in the city Mm -hmm. um it felt like in the same way phytology feels like a reflection of me this felt like a reflection of me as well um of you know like straddling both city life but then also like alternatively in like a way that's really fulfilled and connected to nature um and yeah and now it's been like it's coming up to a year um mm-hmm. yeah and I absolutely love it and I yeah I, I don't I can't imagine me moving off the waterways for a while um wow. <laughs> I think yeah there's you know there's like the best bits of like seeing swans like go past the oh. window in the morning <laughs> like, up to bird song and it's like ah but then there's also like very real realities of like climate mm-hmm. crisis and mm-hmm. water pollution and seeing you know like I've seen 101 things in the waterways that shouldn't be there mm-hmm. um yeah. trolleys or like like plastic rubbish or you know I've actually had a duvet get caught in wow. my boat oh, yeah <laughs> so like you, see, like you know and it's like that there is this level of like you know experiencing like this really beautiful way of living but then also still being met with a lot mm-hmm. of the issues disrespect disconnection and lack of care as well when it's the way that we kind of live in urban environments um so yeah so it's kind of yeah it's this like weird bittersweet of where yeah, it reminds me why I do the work and <laughs> 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 it also reminds me why I do the work in a positive sense yeah. <laughs> then also reminds me why I do the work is when I see like a duvet in the yeah. middle of the canal like <laughs> yeah it's it reminds me in both in both ways yeah <laughs> I love that but yeah I, I keep seeing your stories on Instagram and I'm like wow this sounds amazing yeah there are moments where I, I am like I am living as close to the dream as you can get in yeah. like you know a society that's like doomed to societal collapse <laughs> yeah wow amazing thank you for sharing um, okay, one last question quickly. Um, actually, two. I asked for. I always ask for two recommendations at the end. The first one is, who do you think I should interview next on this podcast? And then the second one is, I love book recommendations. So, what's the your favorite book you ever read and why? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should interview next. Um, I think Kalpana. Um, Mm -hmm. she or well yeah she has a thing called like uh, nowadays on earth oh yeah uh, which Mm -hmm. is page super cool stuff she does really cool stuff about like marrying nature and technology Mm -hmm. um and 
yeah because like my work is like very non-technological based but I do think <laughs> she plays a really important part in the future um and that doesn't mean weird pseudoscience like like <laughs> you know carbon <laughs> like accounting stuff but it's like uh-huh. how do we you know use AI to mimic nature and stuff like this I think mm-hmm. it's like fascinating and yeah. I think oh yeah well, her, like Joyce Stein would be like really Joyce Stein climate and color would be really mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. um and then books I, I will give you one like my actual favorite book in the world because yeah. it's very much not environmentally related <laughs> that's okay <laughs> and then I'll give you one that's slightly a bit more okay. <laughs> um so the first one is Slut Ever by Kyle Sarantino um she's a Vogue polemist on on sex and love mm-hmm. um and it basically is her own memoir of like her finding herself in her sexuality throughout her life and her career um and I think it's a really beautiful book to read about becoming um and I know for myself I don't really talk about it so much but like learning about my own sexuality and consent and all of these kind of practices have really change the way that I view the earth as well mm-hmm. of these ideas around boundaries and consent and you know like ah mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it is linked <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I think that's like just a great book in general um and then a book that really inspires me from the environmental space is Rob Hopkins from what to what is and it's a book kind of yeah it's about radical imagination and visioning about the world that we should live in and that we deserve to live in and then how do we like enact that and that's yeah it gives me hope and the first chapter is literally like describing utopia but a utopia that's very much based in a very tangible world that we mm-hmm. could have if like we give it our all and yeah it, it it makes me very happy and when I'm on sad days I read the first chapter cool. and I'm like we're ready to do this <laughs> Wow, love that. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And uh yeah, love the conversation. I feel like we could go on for hours, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I will let you go. But thank you so so much, Daisy. And thank you. Uh, it's been lovely. <laughs> oh, it's been absolutely lovely. Thank you so much. And like feel free to send me like the recording, whatever. I would love to have the conversation because I yes, feel like yeah. my yeah my brain started doing some weird stuff and I was like okay I'm gonna focus and then I'm gonna run it after <laughs> um, yeah, I have good conversations my brain starts like writing notes of like plans to like cripple the government like, yeah. <laughs> like no day focus I'm the same I'm the same it, it's hard sometimes too yeah, same yeah. Thing when you have a brain that goes in so many directions <laughs> I know the feeling <laughs> but yeah I, I will share and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be in touch with the recording and everything. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Have a great rest of your day. See you super soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, listeners. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Don't forget to check out the show notes and follow us on Instagram at Why We Care Podcast for all updates, more stories and ways for you to take action. If you want to have the podcast, I would also be super grateful if you could leave a little review on Apple or Spotify or maybe share it with a friend who you think might like it. Thank you so, so much in advance and see you next week. Thanks for caring and sending you lots of love.